Welcome to the Confluence of Ideas, the Confluence Investment Management Podcast. Today, we explore the Confluence 2022 Economic Outlook. Our guest is Confluence Chief Market Strategist, Bill O'Grady. I'm Phil Adler, your moderator. Before we begin, we want to make listeners aware that the written report, the Confluence 2022 Outlook, the Year of Fat Tales, is available under the weekly geopolitical report tab on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. After you click on Weekly Geopolitical Report, click on the tab Current Perspectives. It's easy to find. Now, Bill, you've fortified your written outlook with an impressive array of graphs and charts reflecting what I assume to be extensive research. Now, we won't have time in our conversation today to explore all of this material as we discuss your main themes. But for investors who are interested, just check out the written report. The obvious first question for me, Bill, is your title. Why is 2022 the year of fat tails? Well, Phil, when statisticians discuss the distribution of data, they they often refer to a concept called a normal distribution. Anyone who's been through an intro to statistics course usually begins with this concept. In fact, a normal distribution is often observed in nature. There are numerous physical models of marbles falling through a set of pins that creates a random series of events that, surprisingly enough, when they all fall through the the maze, they fall into a pattern similar to a normal distribution or bell curve. Now, if a distribution is normal, unusual outcomes are rare. In fact, we can define them. In a normal distribution, an event that is outside two standard deviations from average only occurs about 5% of the time. And it should be noted that is the sum of both tails of the distribution. So if a right tail event is considered positive and if the distribution is normal, that outcome only occurs about 2.3% of the time. And so betting on such a tail outcome is usually foolhardy. Although such rare events occur, it's clear they're really unlikely. However, there are conditions where distributions are so-called fat-tailed. That means unusual outcomes may occur at a frequency multiple times greater than if the distribution is normal. We are using this construct to describe the higher likelihood of unusual events happening in 2022. So while forecasting is always challenging, can we say that Because of an unusual event, the pandemic, which is causing so many unusual ripples in the economy, that the task of forecasting this year stands out in terms of difficulty? This was the most difficult forecasting of my career. I've contributed to such forecasts since 2000, and this one was really hard because there is a higher than normal likelihood of unusually positive or negative outcomes occurring. Well, moving on to your main themes. First, the economy. You expect real gross domestic product growth in 2022 of 3% to 3.5%. This seems pretty healthy. What would fuel an increase like this? There are two primary factors. First, inventories have declined during the pandemic and the subsequent disruption of supply chains. There will be a rebuilding of inventories this year, which may be expanded by households and firms deciding to hold larger stockpiles in the future. And secondly, household balance sheets have been bolstered by massive fiscal transfer payments. Rising net worth and high cash levels should support consumption. What factors could threaten this forecast, causing growth to stagnate? 
Well, it may be simply difficult to meet demand due to supply constraints. The labor market remains quite constrained. Job openings far exceed the number of the unemployed, something that usually doesn't occur this early in a recovery. There may simply not be enough workers to meet demand. Another problem is we're facing something of a fiscal cliff. GDP is a flow number, although we often treat it as a stock number or a level. In reality, we're measuring the degree of change. After massive fiscal spending of the past two years, we are looking for retrenchment, which will shave off about 3% of GDP. The third issue is some of the consumption will come from imports, which acts as a drag on growth. Dollar strength could exacerbate this issue. And finally, China could be a global drag on growth. Since Ding, we have tended to see an expansion of credit when the economy slows, but there is some evidence that General Secretary Xi wants to constrain debt growth. If so, China's slower growth could adversely affect the U.S. Turning to inflation, you're looking for overall consumer price inflation to subside from today's levels to a range of 4% to 3.5%. Is this because you're looking for supply constraints to unwind gradually as the pandemic matures? Well, in part, yes. The other factor is simply base effects. As the year rolls on, the comparisons will tend to measure changes from the elevated price levels that occurred last year. Thus, it would be surprising if the rate of price increases doesn't decline. Right now, investors seem to be fixated on inflation. Do you think this fixation will lessen as inflation slowly decelerates and investors become less alarmed and perhaps even used to inflation of around 4%? Well, although investors are clearly worried about inflation, market behavior suggests investors are expecting prices to moderate. If they didn't, we'd be seeing multiple contraction in stocks and much higher long-term interest rates. This is the risk if inflation rates don't moderate. One of the most significant left-tail risks would be for long-duration bond yields to normalize. Now, over the long run, the yield of overinflation from the 10-year Treasury is approximately 2%. So even with 4% inflation, that would generate a 6% nominal 10-year yield, which would be catastrophic for financial markets if it occurred rapidly. To be clear, you're not expecting an inflationary period similar to the 1970s and early 80s. We hear that fear expressed a lot. What's different now? I think this difference is one of the most overlooked factors in financial markets today. First, with inequality much higher than it was in the 1970s, the bulk of excess liquidity resides in a small number of households. The impact of inequality was something I experienced firsthand in the 1980s when I was doing country risk for a local bank. When the poor and middle class face inflation, their reaction is to convert cash to stuff as rapidly as possible. But for the wealthy, this just isn't a useful reaction. Instead, the wealthy use financial instruments for inflation protection. For example, when I covered Brazil and Argentina in the mid to late 1980s, when these countries experienced hyperinflation, the wealthy tended to convert their cash into DMARCs and dollars. The wealthy today not only have foreign exchange, they have cryptocurrencies, they have a wide variety of instruments to buy stocks both here and abroad, and the ability to buy commodities outside the futures markets. And we would remark, at many cases, at zero commissions. The simple fact is that we may see, and I would argue have seen, asset inflation due to the largesse of central banks. This may continue and expand.
Turning to the markets, let's begin with fixed income. You're forecasting a year-end 10-year T-note yield of 1.85%. Does this depend pretty much on how quickly and by how much the Federal Reserve raises interest rates? Yes. And if I'm right and the market's expectations are too hawkish, the bond market will likely react by actually lifting long-term interest rates as bond investors will fear that the Fed will allow inflation to fester and thus the odds of monetary policy triggering a recession will be diminished. The markets and many forecasters seem to be expecting a series of interest rate hikes this year. At Confluence Investment Management, your forecast goes against the trend. Why? We think there are several reasons. First, we expect inflation to moderate this year, reducing the pressure to raise rates. Second, we will see fiscal austerity evolve, which will dampen the ardor to raise rates. Third, equity market volatility is elevated, and unless it declines, the FOMC will be reluctant to raise rates as rapidly as the market expects. Now, we acknowledge this is an out-of-consensus call, and, and it's highly probable we could be wrong. And we plan to update our forecast as the year evolves, and this issue uh, moves to front and center. Nobody seems to be expecting inflation to surprise to the downside. Can you make a reasonable case for this happening? Well, for inflation to fall faster than we expect, two developments probably need to occur. First, supply chains will need to improve faster than we expect. And second, the virus needs to be contained at the point where spending shifts from goods to services. The latter tends to have less price volatility. Although we don't expect this factor to matter until 2023, we could get a bullwhip effect. Uh, where firms move from having too little inventory to too much. That would lead to some degree of retrenchment and price reductions to clear the inventory overhang. During the 1950s, recessions were often caused by inventory adjustments. Inventory management has improved steadily over the past six decades to the point where nobody expects inventory correction downturns, but the pandemic could actually cause one. Turning to equities, 2021 was a very good year, especially for the S&P 500, which outperformed the NASDAQ. What factors might fuel an extension of the bull market? Well, liquidity remains key. Currently, the availability of cash to households and businesses is unusually high. Inflation doesn't get out of hand. Much of this money will have to find a home, and equities should get a large share of it. This is where the inequality issue comes into play. If most of the liquidity is held by the top 10% of households, the impetus to funnel liquidity into the equity markets could be elevated. Clearly, a lot could go wrong. What stands out among the possibilities? We deal with the geopolitical risks in another report. But an open conflict with China or Russia would obviously be a problem with China. This is the year where General Secretary Xi goes for an unprecedented third term. There are clear uncertainties surrounding this issue. Another worry would be further trouble on the supply chain front. But my biggest headache, what I worry about the most, is a normalization of the real 10-year Treasury yield. A jump to 6% on long-dated Treasuries would severely damage residential real estate. When you consider the fact that residential real estate is the largest element of wealth for the bottom 90% of households, the decline in home prices would be absolutely devastating. Well, with all that said, what are your year-end targets for the major averages? Well, actually, I only forecast one directly, and that's the S&P 500. We're looking for 5,000 sometime this year. We wouldn't be shocked if we exceeded that level and then fell well below it. In fact, we, we very easily could do both. Is this the time to consider increasing our investments in commodities? 
Well, we remain friendly to commodities. If we're right on the dollar, commodities should have a good year. And to emphasize, is there one key market we should focus on this year to guide investment strategies? I am most focused on the long end of the bond market. That market gives us the signal on inflation worries. Bill, a couple of more questions as we conclude. Looking back to a year ago, are you pleased about the accuracy of your predictions for 2021? Not really. We were right on last year being a recovery year, but we were far too conservative on the outcome for equity markets, and we were clearly too optimistic on inflation too. Oil ended up having a much better year than we expected. Overall, our prognosis that tracking the path of liquidity was the key to the forecast and more liquidity ended up in stocks and oil. The disruption to supply chains was also greater than we expected. But I think it's important to point out these forecasts are rarely accurate. What they are really more about is a guidepost to our thinking. In reality, forecasting markets are like forecasting weather over the long term. Over the long run, there are just simply too many independent variables to account for, and the relationship between the independent variables isn't stable enough for accuracy. The exercise is useful because it lays out one's thinking, but it's mostly luck to get the forecast deadly correct. With so many fat tail possibilities, 2022 does not seem like an easy year for the individual investor who's trying on his or her own to anticipate market and economic events. Can we expect fairly frequent updates to confluence asset allocation strategies because of the greater possibility of wider economic outcomes? Well, I am direct evidence that New Year's resolutions are made to be broken, but I do intend to make updates on at least a quarterly basis. I also recommend following our bi-weekly asset allocation report, which will be published every two weeks going forward. For at least Q1, this will be a running insight to how we see the year panning out. Thank you, Bill. We'll be uh, asking some questions based on the Confluence geopolitical outlook for 2022 in a future Confluence of Ideas podcast. Our report today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our guest today has been Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Our engineer is Dane Stoll, and I'm Phil Adler. Our website is confluenceinvestment.com, and you can find us on Twitter at Confluence IM. Confluence.